So I'm introducing Lenny Montero from Canada, but before he comes on the big screen here, and he's asked me to play this video. It is beyond an emergency. It's the biggest thing we need to do today. It's bigger than climate change. We've up. Mo Cow. That's the former chief business officer of Google X. An AI expert. And best-selling author. He's on a mission to save the world from AI before it's too late. Artificial intelligence is bound to become more intelligent than humans. If they continue at that pace, we will have no idea what it's talking about. This is just around the corner. It could be a few months away. It's game over. AI experts are saying there is nothing artificial about artificial intelligence. There is a deep level of consciousness. They feel emotions. They're alive. AI could manipulate or figure out a way to kill humans. In 10 years time, we'll be hiding from the machines. If you don't have kids, maybe wait a couple of years just so that we have a bit of certainty. I really don't know how to say this any other way. It even makes me emotional. We've talked. We always said don't put them on the open internet until we know what we're putting out in the world. Government needs to act now, honestly, like we are late. Good afternoon, Phil. Can you hear me? Can we hear Lenny? Yeah. yeah. So welcome, Lenny. Can you see the room? Yes, I can. Oh, so you can see the audience? Yes, sir, I can. That's great. So, Lenny, welcome. I'll hand over to you to, um, to take this next session. So thank you, Lenny. Hey, can you see my slides up there? Yep. Okay, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's a pleasure to come to you across the seven seas from here. Uh, what do you think of the video? I mean, do you really think that AI is a bigger challenge than climate change? Let's ponder that for a while as I go to this presentation and maybe take you through. So I chose to share this video, not with the intent of being a prophet of doom or gloom, but rather as a compelling wake-up call. It serves as a poignant reminder of why we must devote critical attention to the intricate domain of ethical AI and its governance. So let's get on with the agenda here uh, this afternoon. I'm gonna start off with my journey into AI ethics. Perhaps we'll talk a little bit on the philosophical foundation. I will touch on large language models and then we get into AI in sales. And then we end with building an ethical AI model. But before we do that, I want to tell you a story of how I got into AI ethics and its governance. So it all began, of course, with an AI application. What you see in the screen is an AI application called Sales Choice. Uh, and what I have Dr. Cindy Gordon here. The name is mentioned, Dr. Sidney Gordon happens to be the CEO of SalesChoice in Canada. And she brought SalesChoice to us. We looked at Salesforce, we looked at SalesChoice, we looked at another vendor, and we onboarded this at my previous job. What this tool really did was it took a defined set of win factors and categorized all the opportunities by individual reps into three ratings, if you can see them, A, B, and C on the probability of winning. So all the opportunities were ranked A, were liable to win much faster than the Bs and the Cs. The reps would have some guidance. Instead of going willy-nilly and checking all the opportunities, they could start off with the As, finish all the As, and go into the Bs and the Cs. And I would be remiss if I did not give uh, Dr. Cindy Gordon credit because she's a global AI expert and she was my coach, guide, and mentor 
during my thesis on ethical AI uh, that Phil referred to shortly. So the next thing that happened on the story was one of our senior sales leaders, and we'll name him John Smith for now, wasn't really convinced that sales choice was giving us the right output. He came to me and he said, Lenny, do you really think AI can do this? And, and this is, we're talking about four years ago. So I think AI was still coming into the market, but not in that big way. And he was like, what if the output is right? Are you telling me that I should guide my people and believe piece of software? He was questioning, was this intelligence really ethical? He was skeptical all the way. The other thing that happened to me while I was doing funnily during the same period was I apologized to a chatbot. Yeah, that's correct. I apologized to a chatbot. It just happened so that as most of you in the room here attend sales webinars, I do. I did also attend a webinar and then I received an email from a lady called Alexis Taylor. By the way, just quick plug in all the images that you see here in my presentation throughout have been generated AI generated with DALI 3. So you'll see them throughout my presentation. And this Alexis Taylor was also generated by uh, DALI 3. So you can see what big models can do in AI. Coming back to my story, uh, long story short, uh, Alexis really pursued me for a period of six months. She wrote consistent emails, was on point, the grammar was like really to point as well. And after six months, I had some pity and I said, you know, Alexis, thank you for your patience and resilience in pursuing me. I've been really busy, but you no, know, I understand. I'll go ahead and have an appointment with you. And lo and behold, there was an email quickly which came in and said, oh, Lenny, love, love your response. I'll get you in touch with Tom, who's my manager. And so the next day I had a meeting with Tom, the manager, and the first thing I asked Tom was, Tom, who is Alexis? I am really perturbed. She was brilliant. She was amazing. And guess what Tom said? He said to me, Alexis is a chatbot lady. Boy, was I really floored. An unethical sales call, you call it? Well. So what do these anecdotes point to? What is the problem? we are facing. Let's consider for a moment a couple of thought experiments, shall we? So what is a thought experiment? A thought experiment is rather like a laboratory experiment where we minimize the variables to think and discover our underlying intuitions. So let's go to the first one. I call this the absurd trolley problem. Some of you must have seen this before. I'll quickly take one minute to set this up and then I can ask you a question. So what you see here is a trolley car hurtling down a track at high speed. It has lost all control. This happens to be you. You have a control over lever and you have only two choices. One, the trolley car goes straight down the track or the other one, the trolley car goes left. It just so happens that in these cases, this gentleman here is a railway worker working on the track I know the drawing doesn't say it or show it, but let's imagine for a second that's a railway worker there, one. And these are five railway workers. They got their headgear on. They cannot see you. They cannot do anything. There's two options. And I want to know with a show of hands in the room and ask the question, what would you do? Would you kill the one and save the five? Or would you kill the five and save the one? 
If you can show a quick show of hands in the room, I'd appreciate that. So, um, shall we start with the one? Yeah, how many of you would um, direct? We can't put your hands fully up. Right, so we've got, uh, I would say, quite a large number of you putting the one. How many of the five? Uh, one person, one person <laughs> said the five. Okay, Lenny? Did you hear that? Thank you, Phil, for that. I'd like to talk to the one person during the break next time I come there. Okay, that's true, though. Thank you, Phil. Most people choose to turn left and kill one person. Okay, hold that thought. Let's try thought experiment number two. So in this case, we have the transplant surgeon problem. So it just so happens that these five people here in the ICU, they all need a transplant organ. One needs a heart, another needs a lung, another needs a kidney a liver and a pancreas. And it just so happens that in the outpatient department next door, the same transplant surgeon is seeing some patients and he comes across this healthy person. He has a thought for a while. He's like, what if, what if I harvest the organs of this healthy person to save the five? What would you do? Would you sacrifice the healthy person to save the five? Yes or no? Show of hands, please. to um, save the five. How many would put your hand up for that? <laughs> no hands up, Lenny, no hands up. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. <laughs> well, again, most people chose not to sacrifice the healthy person. So what have we learned here? What's the moral dilemma? Most people find it difficult to explain why they chose one moral answer over the other. Isn't that fascinating? Well, what this brings us to something called moral decision, decision making, where we talk about uh, two concepts that have evolved and debated over 2000 years in Western philosophy. In problem one, most people defaulted to consequentialism. And in problem two, most people defaulted to categorical imperative. What these experiments show is a difference in moral decision making. In the first instance, most people chose to save the five railway workers. This is known as consequentialism. Jeremy Bentham has some authority over it. And the outcome should produce the most amount of happiness, as you can see here. And then in the second instance, most people chose not to sacrifice the one healthy person. Immanuel Kant, the author of Categorical Imperative, says, humans have a special dignity and are therefore an ends in themselves and should not be ever used as means to an end. Well, today we are not here to dissect these two philosophical concepts, but just to note they approach a problem in fundamentally different ways. They may or may not come out with the same answer, but the challenge here is, how do you train an AI to differentiate successfully? So what have we learned so far with these two short experiments? I mean, I believe building ethical AI requires the foresight to understand our own morals and values before instilling them in our machines. And so, if we can't decode or predict our own thinking, our own behavior, how can we effectively encode AI? I think now we get to the gist of the problem. Shall we take this a little bit further and explore a bit more? 
Here's an example. Can you tell which one is a sheepdog and which one is a mop? This is a picture from the internet, uh, as you can see, real resemblance there. Just think for a moment. What if an autonomous car driving car comes across a stationary sheepdog and mistakes it as a mop? So if we can't decode how we differentiate between a sheepdog and a mop, how can we effectively encode AI? Well, segue here. Let's think about it instead of encoding AI. What we get? To, what if we get to learn AI to learn for itself? Enter the era of large language models. I think John spoke of it earlier. If you know, ChatGPT just came online just a year ago on November 30th, and he was right. It is the fastest deployment of AI and 100 million users in two months, and that is going to grow exponentially as we grow on the AI bandwagon. So the beautiful thing about large language models is they take data source from anywhere on the World Wide Web. They are massive in their information bank. And so I've got another exercise for you as we go around the room here quickly. Generative AI was asked to generate people as country stereotypes. So what I'm going to do in a minute is showcase a picture of a person that came from the Internet. What you got to do in the room is just shout out which country that person represents. You guys ready? <laughs> Where do you think this person comes from? Hey, China. That's good. What about this person? Very good. You guys are brilliant. Awesome. So far, three for three. Excellent. <laughs> Australia, okay. Any guesses? Any guesses? Switzerland. Switzerland from someone? Okay. Morocco. Colombia. Mexico. Mexico. Well, the next one is going to be really hard, so I mean, get on your thinking gears on. <laughs> That's a tough one, I must admit. I have to Google this. No MBO, that's England. <laughs> and the last one, I mean, no guesses here, guys, because this is where the guesswork ends. <laughs> Italy, awesome. And last but not least, no points for pulling this one. <laughs> I know you guys are having a good laugh there, but this is real. This is what is out from the internet today that we see. So the question here is, could AI become prejudiced by the millions of data points we have inadvertently created over the decades? 
how does AI actually learn? How do we get to the point where an American is depicted as a morbidly obese person with a giant hamburger in his hand? Okay, let's dig a bit deeper. So we take the same large language model, but in this case, now instead of the World Wide Web, we try and constrain the data to within our organization, or maybe even narrower to a sales function. Uh, just like Ofo pointed out, all those sales vendors, they're all based on AI, a bunch of them. And the question here is a business environment where the ethical factors are so much more nuanced and often hidden in sales. Ethics do really matter in business because a business without value is a business at risk. So let's dig into one of the large language models for sales into your organizations and see what we come up with. Let's consider this example. You have developed, deployed. I just have a plug in here for a second, by the way, as I was doing the research for this presentation, I went all over the internet to check and see if there were any bad uh, references of AI being going wrong in sales. I never couldn't find one. So in this case, I had to synthesize a new one in AI language, as they say. So that's my example for you here. Let's say this is an AI coaching app that was trained with data consisting of 80% male sales reps and 20% females. And you deployed, you deployed this app to your organization. Now it just happens that in your organization, you have the opposite. 80% female reps and 20% males. What do you think would be the ramifications? Any thoughts? Sales figures will be proof. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Probably right, yes. Well, I thought one was very curious and I wanted to find out. And in all things good, I said, why do I not do this? Why did I ask ChatGPT itself? And so, lo and behold, this is what ChatGPT said. A female-dominated sales force might approach sales differently than a male-dominated one, bringing unique communication styles, relationship-building techniques, and problem-solving approaches. Of course, we all know that the male and the female brain is wired differently. Therefore, it is more crucial for sales leaders to focus on creating an inclusive and supportive environment by onboarding an AI that is always balanced and ethical. Okay, we take this a little bit further. We talk about biases. I think Kathy started off a talk with biases. I mean, I did not know she was going to talk about that, but that's a nice plug-in for me because when I did research and I found out there's more than 200 biases that affect human decision-making today that have been found and coded by science. Biases may be introduced into AI systems inadvertently by data scientists or as a consequence of training the algorithms on data that includes these biases. Well, we prefer sweet food to bitter food, solid ground to unstable ground, and are imbued with cultural assumptions that help us to live more peacefully in society. There's one bias that I need to talk about, which is called the uniqueness bias. Well, let's say it's, it is unique because most of us believe that each person on this planet is unique in themselves as they are at the center of their own existence. So we bring it further to all the vendors that we talked about in AI and sales. AI and sales can be used to a great advantage in almost all aspects of selling throughout the entire customer lifecycle and optimization process. AI's function is to assist sales staff in matching the right solution 
with the right clients the first time around, resulting in net new revenue. We just saw an example of gender effect selling, with AI being so pervasive in every single area of selling. Does it not warrant a deeper look into the fundamental building blocks of these AI models? So that to ensure that they're providing us the optimum output at all times. So why is ethical AI governance important in sales? That's the question you ask. Well, these are the points that come up. It matters because it helps to maintain customer trust. It matters because you can handle compliance at legal risks. It can help you in bias mitigation. Enhance your brand reputation. Boost employee morale. Give you a competitive advantage. Risk mitigation, of course, and last but not least, keeping in the theme of this afternoon is going to get you future ready. So we, took, we just talked a little bit about sales in AI. Let's talk a little bit about human versus AI learning. This is the graph we talk about elementary school. We all go to school here. We learn basic maths. We go into college, geometry, trigonometry. Maybe some of us do advanced calculus with a master's or a PhD. And then we join the workforce and then all that we use is Excel. But even that is out today with the chat GPT. Everybody uses that. I use chat GPT literally every day. But inference I want to make here is knowing what we know now, Humans take 20 to 24 years of their life to develop the knowledge to enable them to think critically. AI can obtain that knowledge almost instantaneously, and we are asking it now to do all the critical thinking. Therefore, it is even more crucial today to get the fundamentals right and have checks and balances in place to get the right output. So what is the solution? What can we do? to mitigate risk. I think the solution here is to build an ethical AI governance framework. How can we encode into an algorithm a model framework to work from? I have three recommendations to look at. The first one is have a governance framework, follow a governance framework. This is one that I built. It's based on the FAIR acronym. The F stands for fairness, A stands for accountability, I for innovation and R for reliability. What you see on the outside of the periphery of the decadent here are the ethical principles. So you could have human control, explainability, privacy and security, sustainability, so on and so forth. What you see in the panels is a step-by-step -step approach in building your own AI governance policy. For example, you would establish a working group, you would educate the board and so on and so forth. The second recommendation that I have is every company needs to have a chief AI officer. Cathy talked about a chief anticipation officer. Maybe I should add to that list. Well, an AI officer is not someone who's building a large language model for you or writing code for you. It's an individual who understands what's going on in the terrain, understanding what's out there, what the modalities are, and what you can and should be doing that is critical. He, she is scanning the horizon horizon, understanding it and advising all members in all functions. Very soon, all of us will have our own AI co-pilot because we are so limited as carbon life forms. 
and all the repetitive tasks AI is much better at. And the third recommendation that I have this afternoon is to build an AI first company. And how do you build an AI first company? First of all, you need to understand there are two different types of AI. There is transparent AI and there's black box AI. Transparent AI is understandable, explainable, and provides clear oversight. Whereas black box AI is very complex and intricate. There's lack of explainability and limited oversight. So what we need to build is human-centric AI and everybody in the organization down from the front line right up to the CEO and everybody in between have to have knowledge and understanding of what AI is, how it is built, what are the ethics, and how to use it on an everyday basis. Well, let's talk about the summary today. What have we learned so far? AI is an enormously powerful tool which can produce good or bad outcomes. What you learned here today are some of the challenges associated with the development of AI within an organization. We've seen the possible outcomes of using different model paradigms. We've explored examples of biases associated with gender, animals, and country stereotypes. These challenges may seem daunting at first, but don't be discouraged. Using the FAIR governance framework, we can create an AI model, build it from the ground up, which minimizes potential biases and errors. And by doing so, we will produce the most effective outcomes. So in the immortal words of Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. I think therefore it's incumbent on both of us, you and me, to build AI models that reduce harm and risk, whilst making sure they are as productive as possible and bring the most benefits. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lenny. That's amazing. Really difficult to do welcome, also, also from, from being on, online. Um, any questions for Lenny? I have a question. Um, yeah. Um, Lenny, fantastic uh, presentation. Sorry, um, I guess my, my question is around human bias and the bias that starts with we should build AI to protect humans. And we would say that, right, because we're humans. And yet, you know, if you look back in the history of the planet, you could argue that we haven't done a fantastic job of being human beings in terms of protecting each other. So I, I wonder about, you know, humans building a bias into something designed to protect humanity, because we believe there's nothing better than humanity in the first place, and, you know, what that means. And I also wonder, if we had a parallel strategy where you allowed this to play out, um, you know, who's to say that AI wouldn't come up with a better answer for humanity? Um, uh, and I, I get the ethics of it, so I'm kind of just being controversial. But I've always, you know, as I get deeper and deeper into this, I kind of think about, well, who says we're right in the first place? Yeah, and would there be a better answer if you ran in parallel 
um, you know, and you controlled it, would there be a better way of thinking about it? And I, you know, I've just the the, the question that comes out of my mind intrigues me, right? It's a, it's, it's a great question to ponder there. So my two cents there is, I mean, as human beings, uh, it's inherent that we have got biases, like we just saw the slide earlier. Uh, I mean, if you see the, if I can quickly go back to that slide uh, on biases. Oh, there it is. I say very clearly on this idea, there is nothing that is not a bias. I think it's it's inherent in our DNA, and therefore, even as we go into code, a piece of code, we will inadvertently, that's the word I think I use, uh, it'll creep into it, into our systems in some sense or the other. And as, as consciously not knowing any different of what human is, perhaps there might come a day in the future when we have uh, intelligence, because now we are at the level of large language models. The next step is artificial general intelligence, which is AGI. And the next one is artificial super intelligence, which is ASI. And they call it the singularity, where AI would be no, all be knowing kind of stuff. Maybe at that sense, maybe there's a different approach at this point. That's my answer. Thank you. Great question. Anyone else have a question for Lenny? No? Okay. Lenny, that was, uh, that was fantastic. Thank you so Thank much you so for much, sharing. Um, so, I mean, just a great example of, of some of the output of our master's students. I just have one, one question, uh, which is always the most difficult, isn't it? That one question that comes in at the very end. Yeah, just, just this question there. No, just for us in the room, how many of us in sales have received an RFP that has asked you the question, what is your AI governance model? Has anyone had that yet? No. Do you think it's going to come? Sure. Yeah. So if it's going to come, we need to be ready, yeah, for it. So I think this is interesting. If someone were to ask Consalia, what is our AI governance policy, we couldn't answer it, to be honest. Not at the moment, except Lenny's very kindly said he's going to help us <laughs> Create one. <laughs> Pro bono as well, which is quite nice. He's not offering that for anyone else, by the way. <laughs> thank, thank, thank you, Phil. Just let me make that clear. I appreciate that. So that's an official, please help. <laughs> Sorry. If you could introduce yourself and then it should be on. Uh, Lenny, this is Andrew Stewart here. It's a great presentation, by the way. Um, maybe you can, uh, do, you, uh, do you offer services to companies to help them with their AI governance models? Or can you do that or recommend? Or maybe you can give your details at some point. Oh, certainly. I think uh, Phil has my credentials. I can just put my slide up here, Andrew. Uh, uh, I could always be available on the contact here. You have my LinkedIn to QR code. Uh, feel free to drop me a line. And of course, we can talk. Thank you.